We are all miracles and must make the most of our limited time here. Each of us have these unique gifts to contribute to the world, and it's our job to develop these gifts and give them away. That's why I created the Preschool SLP podcast. The Preschool SLP is about working smarter to create real change in ourselves and in others. Being an SLP is a mission. Let's discuss topics that matter. What are the game-changing strategies? How can we treat the whole child? How can we create the shiniest versions of ourselves and of our clients? We're here at the drawing board for a reason. You bring your own unique gifts. Together, let's create better. If you work with children with speech sound disorders, or if you work with children with challenging behaviors, this is the episode for you. We are going to talk about which data you want to pay attention to if you want to improve these children's communication skills, if you really want to improve children's behavior. So before I begin, I want to give you a little bit of background. What I'm going to talk about today is practice effects. And practice effects is that you're going to show improvement on something you repeatedly do. That does not mean that you're going to show generalized improvement. So for instance, I work out at Orange Theory every day. I row every day as part of the workout. If I look at my rowing and I say I'm improving as a rower, all I know is that I have practice effects. Every day I row, so therefore my rowing should improve. However, if I want to look for generalizable gains in health, I'm going to say, has my percentage of fat decreased? Has my percentage of muscle since I've started working out at Orange Theory? Then when I do that, I'm going to know these are generalizable gains in health. That is data I care about. I care very little that my stroke rate is up one more time a minute. That to me is practice effects. In a similar vein, when we're treating speech sound disorders, many speech therapists keep data every session on the same treatment target that they're doing 150 reps of. This, I would argue, is practice effects. Something that you're doing 150 times, I would expect that you would improve in. Does that mean that the child is making generalizable communication gains, that they are overall more intelligible? No, that just tells us that what you practice often, you're going to get better at. So what should you do instead? Now, the research indicates that about every eight weeks, you should see generalizable gains from your articulation or your phonological process therapy. So what do I mean by that? Take out the single word speech test. 
And make sure it's the same test you gave before because there's so much variability amongst single word speech tests. You're comparing apples to plums to grapefruits. There's so much variability. Do not change the test. Keep it apples to apples. Use the same test. See the ears. Was there a decrease in overall ears on this test of sounds that you did not even target? So let me give you an example. My go-to most powerful treatment target, if I want to get maximum gains, is SKR blends, like in the word scrape, okay? SKR blends are the most complex blends in the English language. They typically develop at seven years of age. I will work on the SKR blends in therapy with these children with a maximum level of cueing. Now, these children are preschool age. What happens as a result is these children make immense gains in their overall speech system. But what are they making gains in? When I'm working on SKR, the very hardest sound in our English language, the first area they're making gains in is in their vowels and their diphthongs. After that, they're making gains in their stop sounds. After that, in their glides and their fricatives. And after that, their affricates. And then we have the clusters and the liquids, such as R, which is a really challenging sound. And so what happens is I'm working at the top of the staircase. Can these children produce SKR blends on their own? Oftentimes not. I do not change the order of their development, but what happens is they run up those stairs. However, they can produce, because of a cascading impact, all of these sounds that I have not targeted. That is what we call generalizable communication gains. Sort of like I was saying with Orange Theory, the percentage of body fat is down. The percentage of muscle is up. These are generalizable health gains. I'm not worried about rowing one more stroke a minute. That is practice effects. So how else can we evaluate generalizable communication gains? You take a connected speech sample. Now, if the child has a severe level of impairment with lots of distortions, lots of deletions, lots of substitutions, you're going to want 100 continuous words. You take those 100 continuous words and you're going to say, what is the percent consonant correct? Out of the total number of consonants, if I divide the number correct by the total number and I multiply that by 100, I can have an idea of what the percent consonant correct is. What about if the child has apraxia, a very severe impairment that often impacts the diphthong vowels and even the vowels in general? Then you can look at percent vowel correct. Once again, 
get the 100 continuous word sample. Look at, this is the number of vowels they said correctly. Divide that by the total number of vowels and multiply that by 100. What I'm finding with these children with childhood apraxia of speech is their intelligibility is dramatically improving in which I can understand them at the conversational level because their diphthongs have improved. Do I ever work on vowels? Never. Do I ever work on diphthongs? Never. I'm going right for the blends. Oftentimes it's an SW blend with my maximum level of cueing with children with childhood apraxia speech. What develops first? The vowels. What develops next? The diphthongs. What happens as a result? I can understand you because the research indicates that in conversational speech, it's the vowels that make us intelligible, not the consonants. And I can understand a child if those diphthongs are right. It sounds like mumbled speech, but I can understand and that's a game changer. What am I working on? I'm working on esplens with them. Why am I working on esplens? Because the higher you aim, the higher the gains. Do I care about practice effects? No. Do I care that that child can't produce the esplens? No. I care about generalizable gains. That's what we're after. We're after changing lives here, not changing a child's ability to produce a single sound. So if the child has greater intelligibility, it's more mild to moderate. The research indicates that 75 consecutive utterances is sufficient to get a reliable sample of percent consonant correct and percent vowels correct. So that's how I feel about speech sound disorders. Every single semester, which is every eight-week period, I test the children using a single word test. That's the quick, dirty, 10-minute method I use with preschoolers. The research indicates that it's highly reliable with spontaneous speech at the preschool level. Now, that does change at the elementary level in which many of the children can ace and test. However, in conversational speech, they're making many errors. That's not the case at the preschool level. The research is showing that they're scoring on these single words consistent with the errors that they're going to produce in connected speech. So let's move into the other area that I really feel passionate about, which is behavior. So many of the children we work with, with communication impairments, with special needs, they are not successful 80% of their school day. And that's really sad because every child needs to be successful 80% of the school day. These children need more positive interactions in the school day. Now, oftentimes we do an ABC log, antecedent, what was the problem behavior and how did we respond? What was the consequence? So we do ABC logs for negative behaviors. And then you can see a pattern. You can change the antecedent and you can change the consequence. However, we can do better than that. What we should be doing is a 
positive behavior log. We should look for those times when these children are attending, when these children are engaging, when these children are laughing, when these children are smiling, when these children are initiating interactions, when these children are commenting. Look for these positive pro-social behaviors and take attention to that. What was the antecedent? What was that behavior? Child laughed. What was the consequence? What did you do to encourage that behavior to happen again? What did you do to encourage that behavior to happen for a longer period of time? What did you do to encourage that behavior to happen at a higher quality level? That's the question we need to ask is we need to take our attention and we need to focus it on the positive behaviors. Because where your attention goes, your energy flows. Oftentimes, I give all of my time and all of my attention on the positive. And with the negative, I try to ignore it as much as possible. And by ignoring the negative, the negative tends to extinguish itself. And by putting more attention conversely on the positive, the positive increases. If I were to do a study of two teachers and randomly assign them to keep a log of problem behaviors, and I want you to keep a log, teacher B, of positive behaviors, I would put my money on the teacher that's keeping the log of the positive behaviors. What was the antecedent? What was the behavior? And what was the consequence is going to have greater improvements in their behavior than the the teacher that's keeping a log of the negative behaviors. Now, I would never do that research. And I would never do that research because I would find it unethical. Because in my experience, I found that if you attend to the positive behaviors, if you catch the positive behaviors, if you respond to the positive behaviors, and if you do things to make more of those positive behaviors occur, you are going to create great change. I cannot say the same thing about if you were to give more attention to negative behaviors, I do not think you're going to have the same outcome. Focus on time in instead of time out. Focus on filling these children's empty buckets with rocks of positive experiences. Give them greater capacity by setting them up to have more positive experiences, by responding with their positive experiences so that they happen more often and so that they happen for longer duration and so that they happen at a higher quality level. Instead of focusing your data on the negative, make sure to focus your data on the positive. Then I think you're going to find you're going to get exponentially greater gains in behavior in doing so. When it comes to these positive ABC behavior chart, think about this. You could keep a log and share it in a Google Doc with parents and other interventionists that are involved on the child's team. And you can keep what are these positive behaviors that you saw come out of this child and what was the antecedent for them and how did you respond to that to encourage more of it? Think about how valuable that log would be in improving outcomes for this child. 
So here we're not talking about working on a certain behavior and focusing on a certain behavior. We're focusing on changing lives. We're focusing on generalizable change. We're looking at what are all of the positive things that this child does and what are the antecedents for it and how do we respond to them so that they happen more often. So I want you to take all of this information today, roll up your sleeves, make the world a better place one child at a time. You are always going to be first.